Let me thank you again for the warm welcome that we have received so far in so many ways from so many people. Thank you. Uh, it's a, ver it's a, a real privilege to be in the pulpit today. It uh, reminded me uh, earlier this morning, I, I knew a man that, uh, and this is true, I'm not just, this isn't just a preacher telling a funny story. This, this is, uh, I, I knew a guy that, that kept track of uh, statements that people would make to him after he would preach. And you're already laughing. Uh, um, uh, just, just a couple, I'll just inflict a couple uh, upon you. Uh, finished preaching one day, was standing out at the back, and a, a lady uh, came up and said, Pastor... Pastor, every sermon you preach is better than the next. <laughs> a little subtle there, I know. Uh, another lady came up and, and said, Pastor, Pastor, your, your sermons are just like throwing water to a drowning man. <laughs> One more. Pastor, Pastor, your... Um, your sermons meant so much to my husband after he lost his mind. <laughs> we have a lot to see in this passage today, and we have a lot to see this week. Uh, it's a familiar passage to many of you. And look, I know that, that, that for many of you, this is a familiar passage. Some of you, maybe it's not. Some, and I also know some of you don't even want to be here. Somebody made you come. I know that. But let me pray for all of us that the Lord would meet every single one of us as individuals and as a group at our particular point of need. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word, and we want to recognize it as such. We want to proclaim it as such before the watching world. It's your word. And we ask that the same Holy Spirit that inspired it would illuminate it, would, would shine a light on it for every single one of us so that we would see it for what it is. It is holy. It is inerrant. It is true. It is life-changing. It is our food and drink. But mostly, it helps us and changes us and, and transforms us as we seek to live for and know and be conformed to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, send your spirit with power as your word is read, as your word is taught, and use it in a way that surprises us and overwhelms us and blesses us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, 
the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as, as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is God's word. Do you know what your name means? You know, you can go to stores and find these little plaques that, you know, says your, your name means uh, lover of God or, or uh, beautiful young flower or, you know, something like that. What, what does your name really mean? If you don't know, find out this week. You might be disappointed like I was when I found out the meaning of my name. Bradford, an old English word for broad, shallow place. Mercer, merchant, shopkeeper, broad, shallow place merchant. Now, how's that for a name for a pastor? Now, my, my wife, and hang with me, I do have a point here. My wife, Cynthia, Greek word, Greek name, goes way back. It means moon goddess. My daughter, Hannah, which is a good, solid uh, Hebrew name, uh, did, did a, a, a great thing when she named my, my grandson uh, Ethan. Ethan means firmness and strength and life. And I have a suspicion that the next boy coming along is going to have another good, solid Hebrew name. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We don't talk like that. I don't say, I come in the name of Mercer. I come in the name of Johnson. I come in the name of Smith. We don't talk like that. But they do. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For, for this culture, this first century culture, and for many cultures around the world today, now, this day, your name says something essential about who you are, your character and your identity. It's not just a tag or a label. There are cultures, and missionaries understand these cultures, when you enter into a people group, they won't tell you their names until they know something about you. Because it makes them vulnerable, because it says something about their identity, about who they are. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In the time that we have this morning, I want us to, to look at several things. 
First, Jesus may not be who you think he is. Whether you're a long-time Christian or not a Christian at all, let's, let's, we'll talk about that. Jesus may not be who you think he is. Secondly, discipleship might not be what you think it is. It might be, but it might not be. And, and then thirdly, Jesus and discipleship are the greatest gifts that you will ever be given. And they're just that. Gifts. Who is this? Our first point. Jesus may not be who you think he is. Who is this? You remember the story of Moses in Exodus 3? Moses is in his 80s. He's essentially in his retirement years. He's a shepherd. And God pursues Moses and appears to him. You remember the burning bush? He pursues Moses there at the burning bush. Take, take off your shoes. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. And there is Moses in the, in the presence of God. And God does two things. First, I want you... I'm going to, I'm going to use you as a deliverer to deliver my people, to lead my people out from bondage, to redeem my people from slavery. I'm going to call you to do that. And not only that, I'm going to tell you my name. The first time God is doing this, I'm going to tell you, Moses, my personal name. This is God. Telling a human being his personal name. You remember Moses, uh, this, from this passage, verse 13, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now what kind of a name is that? I am? I asked you if you knew the, the meaning of your name. Where'd your name come from? It came from somebody else. Somebody gave you a name. Nobody gives God a name but God. God is the only person, the only being, who names himself. I am who I am. I am independent. My ways are not your ways. I'm autonomous. There is no standard above or outside of me. I name myself. And when God does that with Moses, one of the things he's saying to Moses, Moses, I'm going to speak, I'm going to give you my personal name, and I'm going to speak to you like a friend. I'm going to call you to something that you, I know you can't believe. To deliver my people. To be used to deliver my people. Now, fast forward to this crowd. This crowd knows its Bible. This crowd is singing and shouting and crying Psalm 118. And Psalm 118 points back to the, to the Exodus, to the Passover, to the deliverance, to Moses being used to deliver 
to lead out God's people from slavery and bondage. And now they are singing it as Christ approaches Jerusalem. O Lord, save us. This is Psalm 118, 25 through 27. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God. He has made the light to shine upon us. With bows in hand, or palms in hand, join the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. And now they're taking Psalm 118, which points back to freedom from slavery. Now they are publicly proclaiming it and directing it toward Jesus Christ. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna means save now, deliver now, free now. And it is, it comes in Jesus Christ, King of kings, Son of David, Lord of lords. And it is being, in the New Testament, publicly proclaimed for the first time that Jesus Christ is the King of kings, Son of David, Messiah, the long-expected one, Emmanuel. They know their Bibles. They know their history. And now they're singing it and attributing this to Jesus Christ. You remember Jesus in John 8 had said, Before Abraham was, I am. The crowds are getting whipped up. Victory has come. Victory has come in Christ. What are they doing? This is the beginning of the week. What are they singing, crying, shouting at the end of the week? Kill him. Kill him. Why? What happened? They know their Bibles. They're singing the psalm. They're recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. And at the end of the week, we'll hear more about this later, they're singing, shouting, crucify him who comes in the name of the Lord. Wow. I I can't say wow quite like Joseph does, but it was close. Wow. Kill him. What happened? These people think they know Jesus. They think they know who Jesus is. It's very convicting. What happened is at the end of the week, there's a cost. At the end of the week, not everybody's doing it. At the end of the week, Jesus isn't what we expected him to be. At the end of the week, Jesus doesn't conform to our image of him. Theirs, ours, often. At the end of the week, there's a cost. I want to talk a little bit about discipleship. You remember Peter. Peter says, I don't know him, because he fears for his safety. The disciples and all these crowds are are happy to sing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then after he's arrested, they're happy to disappear. He 
these great crowds, again, that are singing this psalm, are expecting freedom and liberation from, uh, politically, physically, from, from Rome. And, and Jesus uh, disappoints. There's a cost. My son just got out of the, uh, the army, and he lives in North Carolina. For years, he was a, a paratrooper. Uh, he jumped out of airplanes and helicopters, and he was surrounded by bad people. As I say, he obviously takes after his mother. I don't know where he got that. But before he was deployed for the first time, commanding officer came in. They were all men. He gathered the men together. He said, men, you are members of the 173rd Airborne Brigade Combat Team. You have received the best training in the world. And we're about to deploy. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. And he was telling them this before they knew that they were going. Now, we're going to Afghanistan. We're about to be deployed. We're going into battle. What was he doing? He was making sure that they had the who before the do. He was making sure that they had the who before the do. Do you have the who before the do? Who are you? We talked with the title. What are we to make of Christ? What are we to make of us? Who are you? Who are you? Where do you find your identity? And he was making sure that they knew, look, look, get the who before the do because we're going out and there's going to be a battle and there's going to be a cost. So let's remember who we are. Not every one of us jumps out of airplanes, but a lot of us are married. When a woman gets married to a man, she gives up her name, her last name. A lot of men don't even think about that. <laughs> a woman gets, she gives up her last name. But you know what, what Jesus calls you to do, men? He calls you to give up your life. Give yourself for your bride as Christ gave himself for his bride, the church. Okay, so you're not married. You're single. You, do you have a job? If, if you go to work, there's a cost for being a Christian and being Christ-like at, at work, for living a life in, of integrity. Are you looking for work? You don't have a job? You, you know about cost and, and sacrifice and, and difficulty. But the Lord has you where you are. I, I don't know why, but he has you there. And you can be faithful to him in all circumstances. You go to school, junior high, high school, college, there's a cost. At the end of the week, there's a cost. <laughs> there's a cost. 
there are sacrifices. Now, fortunately, our, our sermon doesn't end there. Our sermon does not end there. Jesus Christ gives himself to you and causes you to be his disciple and offers discipleship to you and, and as a great gift. At the end of the week, yeah, in this account, and we'll see it more, more and more as the week goes on, at the end of the week, it's, Jesus is the only one standing. And he's standing by himself. And he pays the entire cost. All, he pays for all of my guilt and all of my sin and all of my shame stands in my place. Do you, do you see Jesus Christ as useful or beautiful? I'm afraid many of these folks on Palm Sunday are seeing Jesus Christ as useful. For all of us, God says, obey me and I will bless you. Do what I tell you and I will bless you, except, except for one, one person who's ever lived. He said, do, do, do my will, do exactly as I tell you to do, obey me perfectly and I will crush you. His own son. That's cost. And he pays it all. Dorothy Sayers puts it this way, he will be the victor and victim in all his wars and will make his triumph in defeat. He will be vic victor and victim in all his wars and will make his triumph in defeat. To save his people from their sins, to give his life, as a ransom for many. And then he prays for these very crowds who have deserted him. Father, forgive them. Don't preserve me. Don't protect me. Don't deliver me so that you can preserve them, protect them, and deliver them. There's no middle ground with Jesus Christ. It's crown him or kill him. There's no middle ground. He allows for no, not for them, not for us. Many of you know this, but a great influence in my life from the time that I was in high school until now is, is uh, the British author, C.S. Lewis. And I remember reading this years ago. It's, it's a children's story. It's from the ch Silver Chair the Chronicles of, of Narnia, or the Narnia Chronicles. And a little girl named Jill finds herself lost. Can't find her way. She's by herself. She's isolated and lonely in a very difficult time. And she's thirsty, and she's tired, and she's hungry, and she looks off into the distance, and she sees a, a forest, and she sees fruit, and she sees a stream, and she finds that she has, now she has hope. In this very difficult place she finds herself in, in life. And as she starts walking toward the stream, a lion appears. And the lion says to Jill, are you thirsty? 
And she says, I'm dying of thirst. And the lion says, then drink. And she says, may I? Could I? But would you mind going away while I do? And he just looked at her and gave her a very low growl. But the noise of the stream is driving her crazy by now. And she says, will you promise not to do anything to me if I come? She says, Jill, I make no promise, says the lion. And then she says, do you eat girls? The lion replies, I have swallowed up girls and boys, men and women, kings and emperors, cities and realms. Then I dare not come and drink, said Jill. And the lion says, then you will die of thirst. Oh dear, I must go and find another stream, says Jill. And of course the lion says, there is no other stream. The life of Jesus is not a success story. It's a salvation story. Big difference. The life of Jesus is not a success story. It's a salvation story. And the question is not, what are we to make of Jesus? It's, what is he making of you? What is he making of you? I'll leave you with that. I can't answer that. What's he calling you to do? Where is he calling you to go? He may be calling you just to be very, very faithful in the simple life that you live right now. And you know, that's sometimes the hardest thing to do. And go off and do something flashy, like go to the mission field. But go to the mission field. Your family's a mission field. You, you know what I'm saying. Whatever he's calling you to do, there is no other way. There is no other stream. Crown, don't kill him. Crown him. Crown him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the the meaning and the blessing of Palm Sunday. We know that as Jesus enters into Jerusalem with all the shouting and singing and celebrating, the singing of psalms, there are tears in his eyes. He knows what's coming. And Lord God, how convicting it is to see these crowds who know their Bibles, they know their Old Testament, they're singing to to the praise of Jesus Christ and recognizing him as the Messiah, the Son of David, the Anointed One. And how quick they turn, how quickly they turn and run. We know that there is a cost to discipleship. We know that we are called to trust in the price that was paid by Jesus Christ. To stand in our place and bear death, the penalty. And and yet, 
be completely victorious over the greatest and final enemy, sin and death, but to stand in our place, in our place condemned he stood. And so nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. We pray that our lives, our minds would be, be, be consumed with Jesus. Our hearts would be consumed with Jesus. And that we would be passionate about worship. About the spiritual disciplines, about growing as individuals. You would well up inside of us a, a thirst and we recognize that it can't be quenched in any other way than through the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion, and as we see in this passage, is also a lamb. And we pray that we would love his name. That we would love his name. And that we would live under the banner of the name of Jesus, recognizing his victory was not political. It was cosmic. And he won it at the cross. And we pray all of these things in the name of him who came such a distance for us. the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.